0: Today, our text comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And Jesus told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will, will he find faith on earth? Now, at first glance, this appears to be a, a parable that teaches that we're supposed to be persistent in our prayers. That we're to come to our God on a regular basis, to not give up, but be persistent in our prayers. It looks like it's a persistent prayer kind of parable. But this parable really isn't about prayer at all. Last week, we had another parable that seemed to be about prayers. We had the Pharisee praying, the tax collector praying, but it was not so much a a, a parable about prayer as it was posture, how you come with your attitude towards God. This one is not about prayer, it's about persistence. And this parable comes with a twist at the end. So let's look at the, the persistence part. I'm not totally sold on the fact that I don't think that everybody really has a good idea of what persistence is. You know, we know that Paul teaches us to rejoice in our sufferings because in those sufferings we learn persistence, right? We have that opportunity to be persistent. And as we practice persistence, we develop this character inside us. And this character then that we live with our, with it, with our life, it promotes more and more hope. And hope never disappoints. And because of that hope, Paul says, I rejoice in those moments of suffering because I get the opportunity to practice perseverance, develop character, and promote hope. Persistence. When we endure a really long class that we find really boring, we persist. When we're around people that annoy us, we persist. When we put up with somebody who has a different belief than us, we persist. When we deal with all of the minor stresses in life, we persist. Good for you. Don't you feel good that you persisted through those? Except that's not persisting. That's managing. Right? When you're working under your own steam, under your own power, under your own will, when you're you're, you're making it happen, you are making it happen, that's not persisting. Persistence occurs when life goes seriously sideways, when the tank is dry, when you're too weak to continue, when you're at the end of your rope, you're at the end of yourself, and in that moment, God takes over. Now you are persisting. That's the beginning of perseverance. You want to quit. But somehow, by the power of God, you do one more day, you last one more hour, you take one next step, you do the next right thing, you keep coming back to God. And God somehow, by his grace and by his strength, he carries you to your bed at the end of the day to wake you up to be able to do it again tomorrow. Persistence happens when someone tells you, I don't know how you do it, but you do, because it's the power of God. God. To carry you through that that is persisting so in our parable we have this widow and widows at, at this time in this culture uh, they had, they'd lost their husbands they had no right to property they had no place of in society they were helpless individuals they lost their lives as they know it and when you compare that to the judge that she is she's attempting to persistently pursue with her case Who neither fears God nor man. That's unfortunate because that shows the widow's situation. That's her only plea. For the sake of God, hear what I have to say. For my sake, hear what I have to say. She is without any kind of apparent hope. She's alone with impossible odds. She plays the only card she has left. Persistent pleading. And then we have this unjust judge. He's the main character. In fact, a lot of commentaries describe this parable not as the parable of the persistent widow, but it, they call it the parable of the unjust judge because he's really the focal point of this. So what are we to learn from this unjust judge? Most commentators agree that, and they, they, they say that this is a, what's called a how much more kind of parable. How much more parables uh, are, give you a, a bad example of something, Who does something right and then says, how much more will a great, great God treat you? Luke gives us a great example of a how much more parable in chapter 11. He contrasts God with this evil father who gives scorpions to his children as well as eggs. And Jesus compares these earthly fathers who are evil yet still good, some good gifts. And says, how much more will your father in heaven give you good things? So most commentaries would talk about this parable and say, well, if there's a a bad judge would do a right thing, then how much more will Jesus as the far superior judge do good things? It sounds right, doesn't it? It's hard to disagree with that. it'd be easy to preach this morning, but I think it shares a, a watered down kind of gospel, a weakened gospel that there's so much more to be had from this text. Because I think that kind of lesson, that if we are just persistent, we can wear God down. We can manipulate him to finally give us what we want if we just don't stop asking him for it. But it's important to put this into a greater context. In the text immediately before and immediately after, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God coming is not talking about some petty request. It's the return of Jesus and the fullness of the kingdom of God. And you put that prayer request in that context and it takes a deeper meaning. It's come Lord Jesus. Bring bring an end to the suffering in this world. Bring us into your heavenly home. That's what this persistent prayer should be. We'll pray in just a little while. Thy kingdom come. We're praying in that moment that God's kingdom would come here on earth, right now, in its fullness, Jesus come back. I think there's more to this parable than just that. Than just the, the, if we just keep coming at Jesus, he'll finally wear down and give us what we want. There's more gospel that has to do with the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at this parable from a different perspective, if if it's not a how much more kind of parable. There's two rules of understanding parables that kind of apply to this particular situation and are important for us to remember. Number one, you never put something into a parable that's not already there. If it's not there, it's not there on purpose. Now, in all how much more parables, there is this key phrase. It's a tricky one. How much more And if you remember, as we read through this text earlier, that phrase, how much more, appears zero times. This is not a how much more parable. Two, when there's more than one character in the parable, the main character is either Jesus or God. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Tiger, are you telling me that in this parable, the unjust judge is Jesus? Yes. Yes, I am. But then how can we say that he neither feared God or or respected man? I would say these are more statements about the widow than they are for the judge. These are more statements of the widow's desperateness. Is that a word? Desperateness? Desperation. Who was that? Nice. Thanks, John Aaron. Desperation. That this would not be done for God's sake. This would not be done, this kingdom of God coming would not be done for for our sake. This kingdom of God would be coming for Jesus' sake. But how can we say that Jesus is unjust? That sounds like sacrilege. That sounds like people like stepping away because thunder's about to come down on me. How can you say that God is unjust? Well, let's dig into that. Because that's where the real meat of the gospel comes into play. The unjust judge, just like the good Samaritan and the unjust steward, is another example of Jesus teaching about himself as an anti-hero. Here's a jurist, a a practitioner of the law whom Jesus will portray as a bold agent of grace. He's a judge who breaks all the rules of his profession. He diverges from the, if this lousy judge finally relents and vindicates this widow, how much more will God hear our persistent prayers? And instead, it stretches our understanding to understand deeper the fuller mystery of God himself. That he's not constrained by our understandings or perceived roles or boundaries that we place on him. He's not limited by our own expectations that we have. In fact... God is willing to be perceived as being a bad God for no better reason than he wants to get the problems of a world full of sinners off of his back. Paul says in Romans 5.8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God simply goes ahead with his own plans, making ready for the great celebration as the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness. And just like the the father in the prodigal son, he runs, he wraps us up in his arms, he showers us with kisses because he wants to get this wet blanket of sin and shame off our shoulders so that the victory celebration can begin. Jesus, just like the unjust judge, does not make his ruling based on the merits of our case. You see, we know nothing of the condition of this woman. We know nothing of, of how wrong she's been hurt or even if she has been. The judge brings her justice because he's tired of her, not based on her life. Now, Jesus is not tired of us. But when he rules and judges us on that last day, he does not do so based on our actions. He does so based on his I just wonder, just think about this. Like, as we live our lives and we try to accumulate as many good works as possible and reduce as many, you know, of bad things and sin that we can, that matters nothing to God because we continue to sin, we continue to fall short, we continue to need to come back to Him persistently seeking repentance and His grace. No, if if God ruled justly, we would all be condemned to hell. Jesus finds the lost, whether or not they think they're lost. Jesus says this, I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to me. And he means the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the widow, the whole sorry lot of all of us. We don't have to do a, a blessed thing to make a single prayer or have a legitimate case. Jesus does it all. Now let's tie these two concepts together, and we'll see another facet of the unimaginable life: that we are to persist through our suffering. This implies that we will suffer. This implied suffering, through which we must not lose heart, means that it will be very tempting to lose heart. It's interesting, when you take a look at the Greek, this concept for losing heart doesn't just mean to be like, eh. This phrase, it's, it's similar to when salt loses its unsaltiness, when, when the, the light gets hid under a bushel. It's this concept of ineffective. When you do not persist through the suffering, you become ineffective for God's kingdom. Do not become ineffective. Ineffective. Do not give up. Do not let go. Persist. Persevere. Hang on. There will be seasons in our lives where we feel hopeless, where we don't see the answer, or we, we're tempted to think that that God is far off, or has lost track of us, or doesn't listen to our prayers, or just simply doesn't care. We're not to grumble through our suffering, nor are we to blame God for our suffering. God knows that this world is a hot mess, and he longs to connect us with him to be able to navigate through the messes in this world. It's like Jesus in the parable of the vine and the branches. He's the vine, and as as us, as his branches, we desperately have a need to be connected to him, to hear his word, to receive his grace, to take in his sacraments, to connect with the very real presence of our God, the source of all our persistence and perseverance. We need him. We need to cling to him and press into him. St. Augustine said this, faith pours out prayer and pouring out prayer obtains the strengthening of faith. It's cyclical in nature. The more you persistently pray, the more faith God builds in you. The more faith God builds in you, the more you want to persistently pray. And the more faith God builds in you. And the more persistently you want to pray. And as we pray, I want you to lock this into memory. God always listens to prayers. God always answers prayers in one of three ways. Yes, no, and not yet. The yes prayers, those are pretty simple, right? You you throw them out there before God, and, and guess what? Your prayer is a winner because it was in accordance with his will and his time. Yes, the answer is absolutely yes. Prayers like, God, give me strength. Give me courage. Give me peace. Give me... Give me encouragement. And you pray that in faith, and God delivers it. And then there's the no, right? Those kind of stink to hear no. When you pray for something and and it's just flat out, you just know that's not going to happen. But you know why it's it's not going to happen? Because God has a better thing to give you than the puny thing that you were asking for that you thought was fantastic. The good that God has coming is better. And then there's the hard one. Then there's the not yet. The not yet prayers are when you are praying for the right thing at the wrong time. Either you're not ready to really receive that gift or that gift is not yet ready for you to receive it. And it's those not yets that, for me personally, are the hardest. They just sit right here in my gut and they ache. And they make you want to feel like giving up. And Jesus, as this unjust judge, is saying, just persevere. Just hang on. I am right here with you. I am going to empower you through this not yet. And sometimes it's hard because you don't know the difference between a no and a not yet, but we're still supposed to be persistent in that. To be persistent. The not yet. The not yet's happen in this, this earthly life with the difficult things that happen and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. But even more so, the not yet in the context of this parable, in the context of all of Gospel of Luke, is the coming kingdom of Jesus. Man, right now, in the here and now, I am an eternal son of God. I get to live with him forever. My eternity started at my baptism and I've just grown more and more secure in that as I've grown. But man, do I ache for that to be in its fullness. There is nothing on this earth that can even come close to comparing to the joy of the fullness of the kingdom of God. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, in the difficulty, I want to acknowledge difficulty because in the difficulty, we are not, as Christians, to go, all right, I'm going to pretend like bluebird's on my shoulder. Uh, I'm going to whistle, Jesus loves me. I'm going to smile when people ask me at church, how am I doing? I'm going to say, fantastic, it's Sunday, I love Sundays, and on the inside be broken and damaged. That's not persistence. What's also not persistence is, is, is just completely complaining and grumbling and blaming through the difficulty. That's not persistence. Persistence, I think, is wrapped up in this word lament, and I think this is a lost word in many churches. But to lament means you you sit in that agony for a while, you encounter that, you recognize it, you accept it, you acknowledge it, you validate it, and then you don't stay there. You give it to God, you pray for God to give you persistence, to persevere, to help you focus on his passion and his promises, that he will work all things to the good of those who love him. And then when he comes back, oh, the party that will be. Just hang on. Persistently pray for his return. And we'd we'd be amiss if we weren't in the midst of that persisting for his return to get out there in our Jesus adventure and live that great commission out in our lives. Because he will not come back till everyone who needs to hear will have heard. And that's where we come in. That we persist and we live that adventure. And God, at the end of that adventure, as we transition from this world into the next, God judges us unjustly. And that's a good thing. Jesus says, I will give justice to them speedily. Well, if you look from the time where Jesus said that and where we are today, 2,000 years does not feel like speedily. (laughs) But what we were saying is, the cross is right around the corner. And in that moment, justice will be paid. All of God's wrath will burn on the sins of the world and consume them So that they are no more. Justice for sin will be paid by the death of Jesus, the unjust judge himself. He was willing to die to pronounce this verdict of not guilty to you and to me. Like the judge who was tired of the widow's hassling, he was tired of having this cage rattled by a world full of sinners. And he destroyed himself rather than destroying us. Like the unjust judge, we have a Jesus who doesn't have the integrity to come down off the cross and zap the world into shape. And if you think about it, this whole concept of Jesus being the unjust judge, dealing with us, giving us a verdict that we don't deserve. A verdict of not guilty that's not ours because of our worth or merit. It's a perfect understanding of being saved by grace through faith. This is a perfect Lutheran parable. It's not about us. It's about the judge. This is full-on gospel. The primary point of this parable is not that God answers our prayers because of our persistence. It's that God gladly and graciously responds to all of our prayers, even the feeblest of our prayers, and therefore, we should be patient and persistent. Would you pray for me, please? Pray for me. Pray for me. That would be awesome. But would you pray with me as well? Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And you sent your son who was indeed that unjust judge who, who judges us not based on our works, on our deeds, or our thoughts. But those thoughts, words, and deeds that are sinful we've given to you in repentance and they are no more. Even our good works are just like filthy rags. You judge us based on your grace. You pronounce a verdict of not guilty because not of what we have done, but because what your son has done. God, lift our hearts for those who are suffering today with gut-wrenching sorrow. Supply them with their every need. Enable and inspire them to persevere to lament well, to acknowledge their pain, but to turn it to you and to seek help from you, to expect you to show up. Father, for this day, we give you great thanks and praise. Amen.